you have your Bibles, let's go ahead and open them up to uh, Luke chapter 2. Luke chapter 2, if you don't have a Bible and you'd like a free one, just raise your hand. We will gladly run one and gift one to you. Uh, Wyatt needs one. Uh, No, he doesn't. Why are you putting his hand down? He says he needs a Bible, Mom. So, yeah, yeah. Hey, you come find Uncle Bag, all right? I'll take care of you, all right? So, hey, okay, so we're in Luke chapter 2. I love... Christmas. I, I love uh, Christmas, but as, as I've gotten older, I find myself loving Christmas in new and different ways. Uh, when I was a kid, uh, the game, uh, I don't know if you, all, you kids consider it a game, uh, but the game when I was a kid was about quantity. Uh, how many gifts can I assemble in my room to make it a danger zone for anyone else to walk in, Right? And then as I grew up as a teenager, the game changed a little bit. Wasn't as concerned about quantity as I was about quality, right? What, what kind of gifts could I get uh, so I can brag to my friends that apparently Santa loves me more than he loves them, right? And then, uh, and then as I was in my 20s, I spent pretty much the whole season uh, trying to convince the people who used to buy me gifts that I still should be considered one of their children, uh, and that all the things that came to me as a child, I should still receive, right? Anybody, anybody have that harsh reality about 20 or 19 where you're like, oh, nobody loves me anymore. So it really is about socks and underwear from here on out. And, and, then, and then right about when I hit my 30s, and I don't know if it was so much uh, just my son was growing into being able to understand uh, the meaning of Christmas, but but things started to take a shift in my heart. And really, I don't I don't know if it was so much the circumstance as much as just spending time in the Word and listening uh, to how God describes the Christmas season, and uh, and it has become something much more significant to me. That that you know we we give gifts to one another during this season to express our love, but really. We, we give gifts to one another as a symbolic gesture of something incredible that has happened for us. Uh, that God has given us the gift of His Son. And because of that, everything has changed for us. Uh, it, it's one of those gifts that you really can't uh, give back. And, and I think uh, the concern that I have, I have this not just for our church family, not just for myself and my family, but my concern is that it's entirely possible to go through these next few days and have the, the circumstances of the season weigh you or busy you or distract you in such a way that you don't even take a moment to consider the incredible news that this season brings us. And, and, and I think about what the celebration of Christmas, what we get to celebrate, I should say, that, that we were without hope. We, we were trapped. We were in the darkness of sin and God burst through into our stories by placing His Son in a manger. That from that night on, we have this clear path toward, toward restoring what is broken in us. And now the amazing part is some of us don't even know how broken we are until we see how incredible Christ is. And and we have, a, we have a clear path where our doubts and our fears and our questions, where they can go. And, 
And namely, our King has come. Emmanuel, God literally with us has arrived. God's promise for deliverance are, are nearing completion. We can behold the glory of God in the face of a child. And, and in that face, our, our soul feels its worth. That's, I, I wanted to use uh, O Holy Night as kind of our Christmas carol, but I couldn't do it because Silent Night kind of works better with Luke 2. But that's just pastor talk. You don't really care about that. But, but my favorite line in O Holy Night, O Holy Night, the stars are brightly shining till He appeared, right? And the soul felt its worth. And there's two ways to wear that line. And I think both of them are very fitting. And I think you can wear them simultaneously, that the soul felt its worth, not just that we are sinful, but that also we are loved and we are valued and we are not abandoned. That, that eventually that baby that we celebrate on Christmas will grow to be our Savior. But, but this time of year we center our hearts on His arrival during what seems to be a very silent night. A night that seemed just like every other night. And what I pray we're able to do this morning is, is walk through perhaps a very familiar story or, or perhaps for you a very familiar passage uh, for this time of year and that we would see this with, with fresh eyes. And so, uh, so this is where we're going to go. We're going to go Luke chapter 2 and we're going to walk through uh, about 13 or 14 verses and we're going to see some really impactful things. So let's, let's start in verse 1 because I like... I like to tell the story at beginning at the beginning of, of the story, right? And so here we go in Luke uh, chapter 2, verse 1. It says, In those days a decree went out from Caesar Augustus. In what days? Those. There we go. Yeah. So now we know we're in those days. All right? In those days a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. So we should take count of everybody. This was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria. Okay, uh, I think, uh, was, it, was it Bryce? You were telling me I need to read Luke chapter 3 for everybody because just it's really difficult to say. The key to that is just saying it with confidence. Okay, I don't know if that's Quirinius, if that's how you pronounce his name, um, but I, I think it is. All right? Uh, and so you all believed it, and so now we're in it. All right? So... This was the first registration where Quirinius was the governor of Syria, and all went to be registered, each to his own town. Okay, here's what we need to know, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, uh, from the town of Nazareth to Judea, to the city of David, which is called, what? Bethlehem. Because he was of the house in the lineage of King David. Verse 5. He's to be registered uh, with Mary, his betrothed, uh, who was with child. Now, that was an issue. We kind of talked about that last week. Uh, she was engaged but pregnant. And then not only is she not pregnant with Joseph's son, she's pregnant with the Holy Spirit. That The, Holy, the angel of the Lord came in and said, hey, it's cool, just the Holy Spirit. Don't worry about it. Right? And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the end. 
and everyone sings, Away in a manger. Nobody sings. Y'all are the worst Christmas crowd ever. Um, But here's what we find in these seven verses, and it's so incredibly important. uh, Because we think the scene is being set, and what we're learning is that we're in the middle of a story that's already being told. Uh, Because in these seven verses, we see a lot of prophecies about Jesus fulfilled. We see there's a connection with Nazarenes. There's a Bethlehem connection. There's the lineage of David connection. There's the the virgin mother uh, connection. And although all the connections are important, what I hope we would understand this morning is that, that as each one of them is being fulfilled, none of them are new parts to a new plan. None of them at all. That in fact, this was God bringing to completion steps that He has declared hundreds of years ago, generations upon generations before. That the mystery of God sending Jesus was exactly that. And here's what's amazing about mysteries. They unfold. And you get bits and pieces. And eventually what was a mystery becomes revealed. And this is what we get to see during the Christmas season. That, that God is bringing, He is sending Jesus in His time. He is revealing the important components of His plan to His people. So, so Jesus isn't born and God looks down and says, Oh, finally, someone. Guys, check it out. We finally have a Savior. That, that's not the way that it works. That Jesus comes along and God sends Him. God initiates this movement and He's breaking the silence because... Uh, He has declared this is to be the exact moment He would send His Son into our stories. And so, as that scene closes in verse 7, a new one is going to open up in verse 8. But we're all on the same page, right? We understand in those days. This is where we're at. Verse 8. And in the same region, in the same region, there were shepherds out in the fields keeping watch over their flock by night. Okay? And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. So we spent a couple weeks um, in Hebrews uh, just a little while back, and we were talking about how Jesus is greater than the angels because what we find is that the role of the angels is to declare whatever God has sent them to declare. Uh, This is one of the most important tasks that they do. And so uh, one of the things we find when we read the Bible is that when people see angels, they freak out. That that they cause great fear. In fact, uh, the word that's used here when the angel shows up is, is phobos. Say that with me. One, two, three. Phobos. There you go, right? That's good. Y'all did good. You did good there, Coop. You, you, Cooper, you were the best one. All right? Um, and so, but this word phobos, what it means is, is fear and awe. So the angel arrives and the shepherds phobos. They're both incredibly afraid, but they are amazed at what they get to behold. In fact, the, the angel comes before them and it says, shows the glory of the Lord. They become very aware of their state, of who they are. Have you ever walked into a room or met a person that you realize, I, I don't measure up? <laughs> like, like, 
one of my greatest accomplishments in life is duping my wife to marry me, right? You ever have those moments? I'm assuming all the husbands have had this moment at some point, right? Where you're like, I don't get it. I don't get it. What's wrong with her that she would choose me, right? And so, so they, the shepherds see this angel and they realize, I, I don't measure up. They are, they are undone. They are exposed and, and they, they, they're seen for who they are. And their issue isn't about being good or bad. It's about being holy and unholy. It's about seeing the glory of God and realizing just how far away I am from that kind of holiness. And so they become painly, painfully aware of it. And verse 9 paints this incredibly beautiful picture of light. That the glory of the Lord shined around them. And it's just this image of, of light that invades the darkness and the darkness can't overcome it. You realize that. That there was, there, in the beginning of our stories, there was nothing but darkness. And one of the things, the first words we see God speak into our story is, let there be light. And His light invades the darkness. And wherever the light is, you can, things are exposed. And now some of us, if we feel guilty, if we're living in shame, we don't like the light exposing but what we don't understand in these moments is that when the light shines and we are exposed, that's the best news for us. Because without it, we are trapped. And we are hopelessly stuck in the dark. And so, it's this light that God commands and their fear was legitimate because they were seeing very clearly how far they are from the holiness deserving such a great such a just God. Verse 10. And the angel said to them, okay, so they're stuck. They're stuck in a moment of Phobos. And the angel of the Lord said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you, what? Good news, great news, of great joy that will be for all the people. For to unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. So, so verse 11 is one of the most, most important verses you're going to see in all of the Bible. Because it comes in and it very clearly tells us. This is why we, we, we celebrate not just this moment in Christmas, but we celebrate this moment every day of our lives. Because in one verse, we get three roles that Jesus has come to fulfill in our lives. And, and all of them are part of God's pursuit uh, to rescue His children from the clutches of sin and the penalty of death and separation from God. And this revelation was spoken over Jesus in the life of the New Te Old Testament and even more as Joseph is being told. Uh, we, we talked about this briefly yes, last week uh, in Matthew chapter 1 as the angel is speaking to Joseph and he says, She will bear you a son and you shall call his name Jesus. For he will save his people from their sins. And that's what we get to explore here. So the ultimate purpose of Jesus coming is not to, to give us a better house, although Jesus can do that. It's, it's not to find you a, a spouse, although Jesus can do that. It's not to heal you from sickness, although Jesus 
can do that. The ultimate purpose of Jesus is simply the obedience to the Father as expressed as coming as our Savior. That's why He comes. That's why we celebrate. That's why we get excited about singing Christmas carols. And it's why we take some time to walk through scenes like like Luke chapter 2. Because in it we find out that Jesus is coming as Savior, Christ, and Lord. Which leads me us asking this question, why, why is it that although the angel has told us the primary reasons for why Jesus has come along the scene, that we get so confused by it. That we get so uh, uh, distraught in seasons when we expect Him to come as something else. And so, so is, it, is it not true that Jesus' real mission can get lost on many of our lives at the altar of, of our busy schedules or, or our unrealistic expectations or, or our prayers for provision that really aren't that necessary? You know? You ever been driving down the road trying to get to Walmart to get the last thing? You're like, dear God, please let them have that last thing. Right? As if he cares if you get your snickerdoodles. Right? Snickerdoodles are gross anyways. Nobody wants it. Don't look at me like that. That's rude. So, so we expect Jesus to be there for us when, when it comes to all these other things for for our wants and our solutions for our problems. And, and we even will measure Jesus' performance based on how well He does meeting our expectations. And, and I'm convinced we misread words that we find in verse 11. For, for unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And we, we want to rewrite those words. And I know that's a dangerous thing to, to propose, but I think we tend to do this from time to time because what we want to hear is the angel of the Lord come in and say... For unto you is born this day in the city of David uh, a get-out-of-hell-free ticket, right? Who is also a magical genie who really just wants to be your sidekick. That's what we expect Jesus to come in and be. And the problem with that is that's not the way the Bible describes Him. And the danger in seeing Jesus in, in any other way than how He is described is that we would fail to see Him in His majesty which causes us to respond to Him in worship so that we can give Him our very best. That's why it's crucial we would understand what verse 11 is saying to us. So, so there's three things, three roles, and I want to give you, if you have talk notes, we're going to start filling in some blanks. And number one, unto you born this day a Savior. We have a Savior because my story needed someone who could do what I cannot do for myself. In, in 1 Timothy uh, chapter 1, Paul's writing uh, to Timothy and he's talking about the purpose of Jesus. And, and as I read this to you, I just want you to understand, he has no illusion of his condition when it comes to the Holy God and what Jesus has done for him. None whatsoever. And then, as I read it, I want you to, to pay attention to how worship begins to erupt in his own heart. So he says this, The saying is trustworthy. This is uh, 1 Timothy uh, chapter 1, verse 15. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. Then he says this, Of whom I am the foremost. 
But I received mercy for this reason, that in me, as the foremost, Jesus Christ might display His perfect patience as an example to those who were to believe in Him for eternal life. Then he says this, To the King of the ages, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. Our story as mankind and your story as yourself needs a Savior because we make horribly flawed gods. We do. And, and, and the Bible says in Isaiah that even in our best of intentions and in our most dedicated efforts uh, for goodwill, that we still fall very short of the holiness that is deserving of our Heavenly Father. And so, so when, it, when it... But it's out of His great love for us that while we were still trapped and coming up short, He sends Jesus to live the life that we cannot live and to survive the death that otherwise would destroy us. In Jesus, we have a capable Savior. And then in Jesus, number two, we have a Christ or a Messiah. We have a Messiah because God cared for me from the very beginning. I tried to find us one verse in the Old Testament that kind of rules them all to help us see that. Uh, And every verse that I found, I found a better one and a better one and a better one. Uh, And so what I did in your talk notes, I just gave you 44 of them. uh, And I said, go, go at it. And I encourage you to explore the beauty of these words about Jesus. Because again, Jesus wasn't God's plan 2.0 or or Jesus wasn't a reaction to Adam and Eve disobeying him in the garden. God's promise of Jesus started in the beginning before the beginning. That that John uh, says in in the Gospel of John that that in the beginning was the Word and the Word was with God and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. That God loves us and He has done for us. He has done so in His love for us from the beginning of creation. That He loves us more than all the other things that He created. Which should just stop us for a moment. That He cares for us in in more intimate ways than He does anything in all of creation. And just the fact that He sends His only Son into our story to redeem us in such a sacrificial and expensive way is a picture of His intense desire to care for us. And again, we're not that great to begin with. So, So in Jesus, we have this capable Savior. We have a promised Messiah. And then number three... We have a Lord. We have a Lord because He is worthy of all praise. Philippians chapter 2, Therefore, talking about Jesus, Therefore God has highly exalted Him and bestowed on Him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And we, we talk about this frequently because uh, it, it, uh, we want to be a body of believers who understand what life with Jesus looks like. Because Savior and Lord are not synonyms. They're not. They're not just one word that, or two words that describe one function. They are two different words. They stand alone as important functions of our relationship with Him. In fact, in some ways, it, it's kind of like being a husband and a friend 
to my wife or, or a, a, a father and a friend to my children. That, that knowing Jesus as Savior costs us nothing. Just an awareness. In fact, it says that it's, it's the free gift of God that He would give us eternal life in Jesus. So that's, that's, that's easy. But knowing Jesus as Lord costs us everything. Everything. Because in submission to Him, as the Bible says, I die to myself in order to live for the glory of His name. That's, that's the price. And so when we say we need Jesus as both Savior and Lord, we exactly mean that. That we come to Him freely so that we don't say, hey God, you owe me salvation. But that we follow Him sacrificially because we say, there is no greater adventure apart from the one I get to live with you. And so, so His Lordship will take me into some of my greatest adventures and, and should constantly be stretching my reliance on Him and the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. And if you're not being stretched by God, the question is, what season are you in if you are pursuing Him at all? And so what we fail to remember is that we will submit our lives to, to a Lord. And the Bible describes them as you, you're either going to follow Jesus or you're going to follow Satan. Not to say that those are equals. Not to say that, that Jesus hasn't overcome the evil one, because He has. But what the Bible clearly tells us is that your life is going to follow one of those two lords. And you will lay at the altar of one of them. And so, what we want to make sure, and I think what is strange are the decisions we make as we consider what each ultimately offer, right? Uh, because serving one results in sin and death and separation from God, while the other one offers life and peace and joy and an adoption into the family of God, that in Jesus we have a capable Savior, we have a promised Messiah, and we have a worthy Lord. And that's what, what we have come to celebrate this Christmas. That's what I hope, as your kids are trying to wake you up at 4.30 in the morning to see if Santa's come yet, right? I hope you would be able to remember that. <laughs> that you would take some time to think through the implications of the sun arriving in the manger. But our scene isn't over. We can start wrapping this up, Swan. Verse 12. I love this. The angel, we go back to the angel speaking to the shepherds, right? They are Phobos. It says, do not fear. Verse 12, and this will be a sign for you. Because it says we've, we've found a Savior, right? The Savior has come. This is great news for you today. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. Now that's interesting, right? Because verse 7 talked about a baby being wrapped in swaddling cloths, lying in a manger. But pay attention to what happens next. And suddenly, there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest. And on earth, what's the word? Peace. Peace 
Okay, stop right there. That's a word you should circle in your Bible. You should draw arrows to it. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts praising God, saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. So that peace is a baby right now in the story. He is our peace. I want you to understand that. You don't find peace apart from Christ. You don't. Because what you find at best is the absence of conflict. Which is what our lives are. We're just, we move from one conflict to the other. Sometimes that conflict's with people. Sometimes that conflict's with circumstance. Sometimes that conflict is within ourselves. But what we find in Jesus is peace. But not just peace in the sense that I feel at rest. But peace with whom He is pleased. That He being the Father. So our peace has come. And I find that a really ironic word when it comes to the pace of our lives in this season. Right? Because we are anything but peaceful. Right? Anybody tired of going to Christmas parties yet? Anybody? Yeah? Anybody tired of buying gifts? No? Yeah, well, yeah. I don't know. I like buying gifts because that means somebody's going to give me a gift. So that's a different thing altogether. But we rush. And we, we fight to make everything that we want to do. And we... And this season isn't about rush. It's about peace. I find it, I find it strange. And I find it curious, really. Why God would talk to the shepherds. Because wouldn't you think that announcement, you would want it in the city square? That from the temple, a booming voice would show up and, and everybody who's there... But yet, here we find a, a very silent night in a field where people are just watching sheep be sheep. The song is very misleading because it baits you into this lullaby, doesn't it? Something that's really slow and peaceful, but something that is resoundingly beautiful. But I wonder if the pace of our lives right now, in this very moment, is peace. And I wonder if it's not, if the reason is that we haven't paid attention enough to the peace that has arrived. My fear, and I've said this before, and I say this all the time during this season, is that we would miss Jesus that we would miss the significance of what He has brought to the table in His arrival. So the angel says, I bring you good news of great joy. Born on this day, a Savior, a Messiah, a Lord. That should cause celebration. That should rise up and worship in us. 
I love you guys. Our desire this week is to love God by? Ah, I tricked you. I tricked you because some of you are going to have to see relatives that you don't like anymore. Yeah, the lanes are all about it. Scott, nobody likes that guy. So you're going to run in. You're going to run into people this week who have wounded you, who have hurt you. You're going to try to avoid going to places because you know those people are going to be there. And my question is, is it possible that God can perform miracles around you this Christmas season? As we say, our desire is to love God by loving people. We're not picking and choosing the people. We don't get to do that. We're not afforded that, that, that ability in the Word. So my prayer is that we would be able to do that. Let us pray. Father, we come to You and we are, we are thankful that on this silent night that we spend time remembering and celebrating that it was Your message that broke through. That it was Your light that invaded the darkness. That in a field You arrived In a manger, you sent your son. And I pray our eyes would be laser locked. We love you. It's in Jesus' name. Amen.